when I was uh, in seminary, I was a jailer, uh, which is just a joke in itself, uh, that I would be a jailer. Uh, I'm, I, I don't have that Mike Henry macho kind of thing going on. You know, I needed some of that from guys like Ed and, uh, uh, you know, just all of you guys who really have it going on. Uh, I, I was, you know, about 40 pounds skinnier at that time. I was kind of like Barney Fife of Euless County Jail. Uh, no, not even a bullet in my pocket, but I was constantly harassed by the police officers uh, just because they thought it was funny that a uh, a ministry student would be the jailer. And they would do everything they, they could to knock me off course, tell me dirty jokes, you know, just harass me, just make fun of me. And uh, one of these guys uh, asked me to go take some female prisoners from the city jail to the county jail. And as we went, I, I went over there, and you, you take the prisoners out you, you, in, in the van, and then when you get there, you open the doors up, and then you go and you un. Uh, hook their seat belts, and they've got the little handcuffs on. Uh, they, they wanted to keep these women in handcuffs because, hey, I'm irresistible, I guess. No, that's just a joke. Um, and after, <laughs> I can't believe I said that. Um, after, after that, uh, I was there, and, you know, in Texas, we have these winds that are kind of like, you know, Friday. And so I was undoing the seat belts, and the wind blew the doors shut in the minivan. And I promise you, for 45 minutes, I was screaming from the back of that van. So, you know, I had, it, was a, it was a full-size van, and uh, all these women uh, laughing at me, yelling at deputies and sheriff's officers at the county jail, saying, I'm a jailer, let me out, and them saying, shut up, prisoner. And it was just one of those kind of days where things went bad and then they got better because I ran into this uh, sheriff who said, look, don't worry about that. And I said, would you please, if, if this could just be between you and me. And it was like, secrets safe with me. Uh, and so I was so excited and relieved that I wasn't, because th- that would be more harassment, right? And so I got back in the van and as soon as I walked into the police station, they started going, shh. And my, my nickname was uh, Windshear at that time. Uh, they, the, the, the news had already traveled pretty fast about what, what had happened uh, that day. And I, I'm sure you've had many days like that where things went from bad to okay. You got rescued and then you found yourself in a, in a different uh, area code. And we're going to be looking at the life of David. And especially in 1 Samuel 27, and we're going to move to First uh, Samuel 30, and if you have your listening sheet, most of these scriptures, in fact, I think all of these scriptures are on the listening sheet, and you'll also see them up here on the screen. David is in a difficult place. Like we talked about last week, there was David and there was Saul, and Saul and David had this terrible, terrible relationship. David found himself under the control of a wicked king who is also anointed to be king of Israel by God. And what we learned last week was that sometimes your friends are not always your people who are friendly to you or sometimes your enemies and sometimes people who act mean to you are really your friends and you find that out. But here David decides to take on a solution. First Samuel 27.1 says, But David thought to himself, because he was being attacked by Saul constantly, 
One of these days, I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing that I can do is escape to the Philistines. Have you ever been in that situation where you say, God, I just can't take it anymore. I know this is my job, but I want to quit tomorrow, please. You know, we always say as pastors, never resign on Monday. Uh, You know, please do not let me continue down this. I'll do anything. I'll wash windows if I don't have to go and deal with that manager downtown one more time and hear him complain about things that are not my fault. And you get there and you say, you know, you come to the, to the boardroom and they say, you do the presentation and it better be spectacular. And if it is spectacular, we're going to give you a 3% raise. You make the presentation, you do all the work to, to make it work. And, you know, well, you know, it just didn't seem to work out as well as we thought. So sorry about that. I mean, I appreciate your effort, but that's not really what we were looking for. In fact, we were kind of hoping that Dave would do this. So we're going to get Dave the raise. Can anybody relate to the idea of feeling that way at work, in the family, at home? Go ahead, raise your hand if you can. We all, at one time or another, experience that, and that's what David is thinking. If I could just get out of this situation, amen, amen. You know it is bad when you are more accepted by your enemies than you are by your friends or your family. And you look around and you, you see that you're on the outside looking in of everything that you want. The doors are locked. All those great dreams that you had long, long ago. And here you are and you're just kind of looking through the window at it. I don't listen to country music that often because I get clinically depressed when I do. But Toby Keith wrote a song about this, and I just want to read you the chorus. It's about this guy, I guess, who got divorced or something. And, he, and he's driving by his old house, and he says this. Do y'all know this song? He says, that's my house, that's my car, that's my dog in my backyard. There's a window to the room where she lays her pretty head. I guess it would be pretty. Um, I planted the tree out by the fence not long after we moved in. There's my kids, and that's my wife, and who is this man that's running my life? Uh, Toby is singing a song about this idea that sometimes we are accepted better by strangers even, or even enemies than our family and friends. And we live with these people, we try to work with these people. The people who are supposed to be on our team sometimes put on a different jersey, And then you find yourself in conflict, and that's where David was. In fact, he was in so much conflict, you probably remember from the first part, we told the story of David and Goliath, one of the minor stories in the Bible, okay? Everybody knows the story of David and Goliath, but he goes to the king of Gath, and Gath is where Goliath and the other giants are from, and he has to go to the king and said, look, Saul is trying to kill me. I'll do anything if you'll just give me and some of my men a place to hide from this dude that is driving me bonkers. And so that's what he does. He goes and the people who are his enemies are now his neighbors. And he's on the outside looking in. I'm sure he thought whenever he was there, he thought about that time that Samuel came to him and looked at him and said, you're the anointed one. You're going to be the king of our country, Israel. And this young boy was anointed to be the king. And now he can't even live in the kingdom. And so you know you're on the outside looking in. 
and you know you're in zigzag, and we've all and I've I've kind of phrased this idea, this concept, and pull out this sign. Ziglag is the place where he ended up. And the sign to Ziglag basically says, Welcome to Ziglag, population one, because you feel so alone when you are in Ziglag. That's the place. Whenever I say Ziglag, and actually Ziklag, say that with me Ziklag. Ziklag, just think about the loneliness of being on the outside looking in, because this is where he was in Philistine territory. You know you're in Ziklag when you are attacked at all sides. We read in 1 Samuel 30, 1 through 2, it says, Now when David and his men came home to Ziklag. Now he's with the Philistines and he's being hired and his men to be a part of the Philistine army. Do you understand how crazy and messed up that is? Here he is, the king of Israel, and now he's in a Philistine camp. And it says they... He served there, and then he went back to Ziklag. And look what happened when he was in Ziklag. So they found the Amalekites, had made a raid on the south, the Negev, and on Ziklag, and had struck Ziklag and burned it with a fire and had taken the women, the wives, and all who were with them there, both great and small, captive, but killed no one, but carried them off, on their way. And I want, to, want you to get this picture because I would imagine if you were alive on this earth at one time or another, you have been in Ziklag. Ziklag is whenever you try to conceive of a way to make your life work and you get this going and you're hit with challenges and then you go back and you go, wow, that's solved. I got that problem figured out and then you turn around and there are ten more problems there waiting to greet you and you're just wondering... God, I can't do all this. I've got this problem over here. I got it fixed, and now, now I feel like, you know, Lucy Arnez, you know, there with the chocolate machine, and I'm stuffing things in my mouth as fast as I can. I've got the plate spinning, and I don't know if I can do this any longer because I get attacked over here, and then I'm attacked by the Amalekites, the Philistines, and, and Israel, and King Saul. I just can't do it all. It's a lonely place. When you're all alone. It's a lonely place whenever you fight against cancer that you have in your life. And you take the medicine. And you go through radiation. And finally they say, cancer free. And then you pick up the phone and it's your son. And he says that he is divorcing his wife for an affair. Then you know that you are in Ziglag. You know you're in Ziglag when you get a new job after being laid off in 2008. And for the first time, you get a full-time job with benefits. Is there not a tastier word than that these days? You get that job, and it's wonderful. And then you find out that your car that you've just been kind of nursing along and is making all that kind of noise just completely blows up. And then on top of that, you go to the doctor and you find out that you're a diabetic now. You go through a terrible depression that debilitates you. And it came out of nowhere. You don't even know what caused it. But all of a sudden, all you want to do is stay in a dark room and hide. Your body has reacted to something and it's coming from nowhere. You don't know why this is happening to you. Can anybody relate to that? And then all of a sudden, you find out that your wife wants to leave you. 
or your husband wants to leave you because they're just tired. And you get over this depression. You find the medication. You find the talk therapy. Everything's going right. And you're beginning to laugh again and have a great time. And all of a sudden she says, look, I, I worked you through all that, but I'm done. I'm done. I'm out. If you experience that, you know exactly where Ziklag is on the map. High school students, you know, you've been trying as best you can to get a starting position on the football team. You've been working hard, lifting weights, eating the right foods, doing everything that you need to do. And you get that position, and then all of a sudden you find out that your girlfriend has spread all these kind of rumors about you and has turned your senior ring back over to you, and it is over. Students, if you've ever been in that situation or have had a relationship breakdown like that, you know what it's like to be in Ziklag. So what do you do? You come home to this wreckage and you can just see Ziklag. There's smoldering embers and there's not a soul in sight because your wife and your kids, little Johnny and Dave and Lucy and all your kids, they're, they're nowhere to be found. Just a note saying, we took it all. And they, the Amalekites brought it back to their land. That's what it feels like to be in Ziklag. But that's not the only thing that happened to David there. Read in verse Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 36. It said that David was greatly distressed. You think? For the men spoke of stoning him. His men, all of a sudden, they're all weeping. They're all grieving over the fact that they've lost their wives and their kids and All's left is a bunch of men without any deodorant anywhere. You know, you, you, you want to go home and you, you want to see your kids and you want to make love to your wife and you want to do all the things that normal people do because you've been on the battlefield and all of a sudden, they're all gone. And then it says, why did they speak of him? Well, they, what were they saying about David? It says, for the men spoke of what? Stoning him. Each man for his sons, and they were all, because of the, uh, of the souls of all of them, all of them bitterly grieved, each man for his own sons and daughters. But David encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord. This is probably, for me, one of the most powerful stories in the Bible. Much more powerful to me than Goliath, because I'm a poor shot with a slingshot. Much stronger to me than the Noah and the Ark story because I really don't know how to sling a hammer. But I want to tell you, this is the main message. And if it's just between me and you, let me just tell you something as a believer. Because you're going to go through difficult times. You are going to have to learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. Let me say that again. Sooner or later, you're going to find yourself attacked from all sides... And nobody is going to be with you. And you're going to have to encourage yourself in the Lord. You're going to have to learn this skill of encouraging yourself in the Lord. And I don't know what that looked like for David, but he wrote so many songs. And we see his story and he would come to him and, and he would come to God and we say, You're my fortress, you're my tower, you're my help in times of adversity. Who in heaven do I have but you? And, and you've got to learn to say something to yourself, to encourage yourself. 
Because you're going to reach a time when your husband's not going to be able to do that. Your wife is not going to be able to do that. Your kids certainly are not going to be able to do that. Your parents are not going to be able to do that. You're going to have to learn to preach to yourself and encourage yourself and say things that are affirming to you. Because if you don't do it, nobody will. And you'll live your life in the smolders of a stinking town that you don't belong in. And so you've got to learn to encourage yourself. What, is, what does that look like to encourage yourself in the Lord? I, I don't know what it looks like for you, but here are a few statements that I love to make to myself. Uh, one of them is this, just real simple. Matt Tullis, I want you to stop being discouraged because the story is not over. Can I get an amen? Some of the things, that's right. We can rejoice and we can applaud because our story is not over. So many times we look at our story and we see the maiden on the railroad track and we hear the train and we think, oh, this is all terrible. But the movie is not over. The story is not over yet. There's a poet that I really like. He's, he's actually a songwriter, but this just says it so perfectly. Um, David Wilcox says this. If someone wrote a play to just glorify what's stronger than hate, would they not arrange the stage to look as if the hero came too late? He's almost in defeat. It's looking like the evil side will win. So on the edge of every seat, from the moment that the whole thing begins, it is love who mixed the mortar. And it's love that stacked these stones. It's love who made the stage here. Although it looks like we're alone. In this scene set in shadows, like the night is here to stay, there is evil all around us, but it's love that wrote the play. Isn't it great to know that the story's not over yet and that there will be evil, but every good story has villains. Every good story has difficulty. Nobody wants to read a boring story that reads like a spreadsheet of successful ventures. Every story has a dragon. Every story has a queen. Every story has a maiden. And every story has an evil witch. And the key is to remember that the story is not over. And you've got to tell yourself that, Matt. Look, you just need to straighten up because the story's not over yet. Another thing I like to say is that Jesus has been here before. <laughs> That's great to know. You know, the Bible says that there's not a pain, there's not a temptation that Jesus has not experienced because he came here on this earth and he experienced frustration and pain and temptation and betrayal. And so I can say, whatever I go through, Jesus has been here before. You've been rejected by friends. I want, you to tell, want to tell you his two brothers didn't believe in him. Jesus has been there before. And if you think that you have not, if you've experienced something that Jesus has never experienced, I want you to look at the cross and ask yourself, is there anything more horrific than what he experienced on that cross for hours for you and for me? And I want to tell you, Jesus has been there before. One of the things I've been telling myself, you know, every day over the past few days is, is simply this. Jesus, he is faithful and he can be trusted. You're obedient to him, he can be trusted. You go through difficult times, 
Don't worry. He can be trusted. You tithe, you give your money, and you wonder, can I make the bills? I want to tell you something. He can be trusted. I always go back to that scripture that says, uh, God's people, you'll never see God's people begging for bread that he's going to provide for you. He can be trusted. He is faithful. The other part of this story I want to tell you about is um, really uh, this phrase here. Simply this. Uh, When you find yourself attacked, and we talked about that, you need to encourage yourself in the Lord. But then also, another phrase I want you to know is simply this. Not everyone has the capacity to finish. Uh, As you go through your life and experience all of these difficulties, you're going to come across people who will want to keep you stuck. And you've been called by God to get better, but there are sick people who would prefer that you stay sick. Not everyone has a capacity to finish. It says this uh, in verse 10 of Samuel, 1 Samuel 30, But David pursued he and his 400 men, for 200 had stayed behind who were too exhausted and too faint to cross the brook. Now, David, as their leader, could have said, You know, all of us, we need to just stay together until everybody feels good. And then we will go and we will do something for God. You know, oh, this is terrible. You know, uh, there's something over here God wants us to do. And, and this is so, so very true. When you are doing the work of God, either as a person or a church or in an organization, there will be people who you will have to say goodbye to. Look, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry this is hurtful for you. I'm sorry that there's pain in this experience. I know you would like for things to be a certain way, but God has called our church and put an anointed people to be in this church to do a certain work that we want to do. And I've just got to say goodbye. I've got to say goodbye. Nobody likes to do that. We want everybody to go with us. But not everybody's going to go with us. Nobody's, there's nobody in this room who's going to be able to take everybody they want with them on mission. It's absolutely true. You're going to have to say goodbye and realize that goodbye really is a gift. It's a gift to say goodbye. Not everybody has the capacity to finish, but this is the whole thing. And that sounds kind of coarse, but the point number four there is, or three is this love people and just keep moving. You know, love those people, hug their necks when you see them. You know, if, if God's called you to move to a different organization in the office and you feel some real loyalty, but you know that's not where God wants you to be, and you see that person at the Kroger, or you see that person at Publix, or you meet them at a convention or whatever, wrap your arms around them, tell them you love them, but move on. Don't stick around and have regrets. If God's really called you to do something, to go out on a venture or to start a ministry, people might disagree with that venture. People might disagree with that ministry or think that a certain organization needs to go in a certain way, and yet there's leadership and there's calling and there's prayer to, to move in a certain direction. You just need to love those people who are not going with you, and then you just need to move on. That's painful, isn't it? That's hard, especially for an addict like me. 
I'm addicted to pleasing people, but if I try to please everybody, well, then I would still be stuck in zigzag. But thank goodness I'm at Bluegrass Baptist Church. The fourth thing is keep fighting. Don't give up on the story. Some of you are in the middle of the story. Some of you are tied to the, the rail and you hear the locomotive and you just stop. You don't want to fight. You don't want to wait. You don't want to pray. You're just tired. And this morning, I want to invite you. If your clutch is broken and the person who fixes your clutch runs off with your VW, metaphorically speaking, I want to challenge you to keep moving, keep fighting, keep looking. Keep moving, keep fighting, and keep looking for God. Don't give up. Don't give up. All right. You know, we all have things that we're discouraged about. Now, I want to challenge you just to keep fighting. Some of you need to do this. Whenever the devil really starts getting all over your business, I just want you to get mad about it. I don't want you to cower or worry or, or fret or have pity because Lucifer's getting all over your case and this is terrible and he's messing with your kids. I just want you to get hacked off and start fighting. Don't give up. Don't give up. Never lose heart. You know, there's nothing worse than someone who's lost heart. Who's just by the brook. They're hurt. They've lost heart. I want to challenge you to not lose heart. Let's pray. God, I'm surrounded by people who right now are in zigzag. They feel deserted. I don't know everyone's stories, but I would imagine there are some students here who feel deserted, maybe feel like their lives have been broken by their parents, divorce, or by a relationship that went bad. I know that there are some who are, feel broken and feel like they're in zigzag because they're, they're all alone in a house that used to have kids and a husband, and now they're just in zigzag. God, I pray that each one of us, whether our deal is someone that we're hurting for who's far from God or whether it's a financial issue, God, that we will not lose heart, that we won't lose heart, that we will keep fighting. And God, that we will follow you even in times when everything around us seems to be smoldering because the Amalekites had just burned everything that was dear to us, that we will not lose heart, but that we will encourage ourselves in you, that we'll take heart in Christ's name. Amen. There is a light It burns brighter than the sun Still is the night It casts no shadow